So let's go before the Lord and pray before we dive into our time in his word. Jesus, we just sang about trusting you. And we pleaded for grace to trust you more. God, I ask you to expand our hearts to embrace you in ways that are deeper than what we currently hold now. And Lord, I pray that you'd use your word this morning to do that. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So as a father of college students, it's fun to see what comes back into style after disappearing for a while. Uh, Recently, I found that uh, vinyl records are now back in. They are the thing. And it's kind of fun to see the old vinyl records and find out even the one-hit wonders from the 80s are making their way back. And so it was fun for me to experience that a few weeks ago in the apartment of one of my kids. And although we see things come and go and things coming back, there's certain things that don't ever come back. There's certain things that are destined to just fade off into history. uh, And one of them is the five-inch floppy disk. You guys remember the five-inch floppy disk? Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. There's these five-inch floppy computer disks you would insert, and I recently saw someone online trying to get some of these things. So you know if anyone's seeking that out, they're just a rare collector that is never, ever coming back. Well, some people think the Bible is like a five-inch floppy disk. They think it's this thing that is uh, out of date, completely irrelevant, relegated to a few weird collectors that isn't really uh, applicable for today's day and age. However, we're going to see today, especially in the passage that we're going to look at, that the Bible is totally and completely relevant. The Bible is relevant. You know, sometimes we have this idea that Certain preachers make the Bible relevant or certain churches make the Bible relevant. I often get a kick out of when you look at churches' websites and they kind of promote relevant Bible teaching like it needs help somehow. But the truth is the Bible is relevant. If we just open and read it, apply it to our lives and teach it, we see that it is totally relevant on its own. It stands in relevance. One pastor and author said this, the Bible is as relevant as tomorrow's newspaper and as reliable as tomorrow's sunrise. Isn't that true? The Bible is as relevant as tomorrow's newspaper and as uh, reliable as tomorrow's sunrise. God loves his children. And being all wise, knowing that throughout the time that he would be um, in heaven as we await his return on earth, we would need direction. We would need Life, we would need insight. He gave us his precious word. And today we're going to see how relevant it is. We are wrapping up a series called A Life Worthy of the Gospel, where we looked at the book of Philippians. And I pulled out of this book four key things that help us live a life worthy of the gospel. First one was to think eternally, that we need to saturate our minds in God's word and think eternally and view this world through his lens. Next, we need to walk humbly, that the position of a follower of Jesus Christ in their heart is to be humble before God and others. 
And then we looked last week at grow consistently, that we're supposed to consistently keep growing in sanctification, if you remember that from last week. And today we're going to wrap up with pray fervently. Pray fervently. My hope is that through the Apostle Paul and the Holy Spirit, we would all capture a renewed vision to be with God and to pray. And so Paul touches on something that is so prevalent in our day and age. He touches on something that is so relevant in our day and age. And it's something that wars against us living a life worthy of the gospel. And I would suggest that this thing he's bringing out and talking about that wars against living life worthy of the gospel is in epidemic proportion in our culture today. That's something he talks about is worry and anxiety. Worry and anxiety. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to open it up to Philippians chapter 4. If you're using the Bibles in the worship center, I'll be on page 1042. And in this, we're going to see one of the ways that we live a life worthy of the gospel is we pray fervently. Now, these, that term fervent, uh, fervently may require some definition. Fervently means to display a passionate intensity for To have this passion. It's something you want to do. So prayer is something that grabs our heart. Now when you hear prayer and pray, all sorts of different things can come into your mind. I'm not talking about just reciting a bunch of words. I'm talking about a greater definition of prayer. And the definition of prayer I'm talking about is communion with God. And when I say communion with God, I'm not necessarily talking about the ordinance that we practice once a month, but communion is being with. Communion means to share and exchange feelings and thoughts on a deep level. To commune with one another means we come into one another's presence and let down our guards and be vulnerable and share what's going on. That is what prayer is when we do that with God. When we come into his presence Not just reciting words, but being with him. And so Paul is going to show us that one of the markers of someone who's going to walk worthy of the gospel is to be fervent about this idea of entering into God's presence regularly and being with him and exchanging life with God. Prayer is not just reciting words, but as we'll see, it's this being with God. And so Paul takes one of the most troublesome things we face in our world today, worry and anxiety, and he shows us how we can counter that by coming into God's presence. So let's take a look. Look at verse 4 of Philippians chapter 4. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything. After encouraging us to rejoice, after this beautiful exhortation about treating people with grace to the point that they think Jesus is next to them, he then gives us this absolutely crazy command. He gives us this command that's hard for us to wrap our minds around if you live in this day and age. He says, don't worry about anything. 
Are you kidding me? Can you imagine? How on earth do you live and not worry about anything? Now, I'd be missing it if I didn't stress that the Apostle Paul gives this as a command. The way it's written here, it's written as a command. Do not worry about anything. We need to unpack this. I don't know about you, but I hate anxiety. I hate it. I hate what it does to me. I hate what it does to people I love. I hate what it does to people in my church family and people I know and friends. And many people experience anxiety at all sorts of different levels. There's this spectrum of experience of anxiety. And some need medical treatment for this because some get stuck in that and it becomes overwhelming. And if that is you, by all means, you should seek that medical treatment and follow it to the letter. But no matter where you land on this experience spectrum of anxiety and worry, as Christians, we should all do what Paul says because it will bring help. God is wise. God knows what we need. And so God suggests something here that will help us in this day and age. I want to show you something. The word for worry here in the original language where it says, don't worry, that word is used two different times in the Bible in two different ways. One way that it's used is a healthy way. It's an honest concern. In fact, Paul uses this word earlier in the letter in Philippians chapter 2 where he talks about his uh, sidekick, his apprentice, Timothy, and he says, for I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. That's the same word in the original language as worry here. So there, in Philippians 2, it's used as a positive thing, to care. Here, it's not. We can learn something from this. So there is a genuine care and concern for others in this life that is good and biblical and right. Practical concerns for matters of life is a godly thing, and the Bible encourages us to do that. Paul's command not to worry is not a call to indifference, nor is it an excuse for irresponsibility. This doesn't mean that you're not supposed to be concerned about things in life or people you care about. If your child is sick, you don't have to be overcome with worry, but you should be concerned. If you're having financial struggles, you don't have to worry to the point where it puts you in a very dark place, but you should be concerned and take action. If you're struggling in your marriage, it should concern you enough to take action. This is a healthy thing. Biblically, we see there's a difference between concern and worry. The Bible shows us that. There's a difference between being concerned about something and being worried about something. Pastor and Professor Winford Neely says this, worry is concern turned inward and deformed, divorced from the grace of God and rooted in an unhealthy fear. There's the difference between worry and concern. Worry is concern that's been turned inward and deformed divorced from the grace of God 
and rooted in an unhealthy fear. So when we get concerned, it's like a warning light goes off in our mind. And now we can do something with that warning light. We can either go to worry and let worry overtake us, or we can do something else that Paul suggests. The word worry here literally means to be pulled apart. Isn't that a great description of worry and anxiety? To be pulled apart. The idea is to be literally pulled in different directions. Your hopes and desires and well-being go in one direction, and the trials of life go in another direction, and there's this tension that's created that builds up, and we easily get pulled into this tension called worry. We feel like we're being pulled apart from the inside out. Can you feel that? Have you been there? Think of worry and anxiety as being pulled apart internally. So we give mercy and grace to those experiencing this at whatever level. However, at the same time, Paul issues this command to us, don't worry about anything. And the reason he gives this crazy command is though it may be hard for us to think this way, to worry at its most basic level is a lack of trust in God. Somehow we buy into this belief that God doesn't care about us so that God is unable to care for us or he's unable to carry us through the difficult things of life. And so what we do, instead of trusting God, is we become very self-reliant and self-dependent. And when we become very self-reliant and self-dependent, we feel like everything we experience in life is something we have to take care of ourselves, hence we get worried. Trust in God gets choked out in a garden of self-reliant and self-dependent weeds. Paul knows that followers of Jesus can lose their joy, lose their peace, lose their graciousness when they are strangled and pulled apart by worry and anxiety. Can I get an amen? It's at the root a failure to trust that God is in control and that he's good. I want to take a little side trail here to address something that some of you may be aware of and some of you won't, but just roll with me. There's a thing called a prosperity gospel that's taught in some Christian circles. And it's a false gospel. It's not a true gospel. And in the basic thinking of prosperity gospel is that Christians are not supposed to ever suffer. They're supposed to be wealthy and blessed. And if you have enough faith, you won't suffer. And so if you experience things like worry or sickness or illnesses or trials, it means you don't have enough faith. And if you just have enough faith, then you can overcome those things. It's a lie from the pit of hell. It's a distortion of what we see in Scripture. This prosperity gospel says if you don't have enough, if you suffer, then it means you don't have enough faith. But we don't see that anywhere in the Bible. In fact, we see contrary. We see people of great faith going through difficult trials all through Scripture, including God's Son, Jesus Christ, who was called to suffer for his people. 
And what these people say is you need to have enough faith, but the, what they're missing is when the Bible talks about faith, it's talking about having faith in Christ. There's an object to our faith. We have a faith in Jesus. It's not a faith that we have the ability to overcome all these things on our own and be healthy, wealthy, and wise, and if we just work up enough stuff internally, then we overcome that. No, it's a lie. We can't do that. Our faith needs to be based in Jesus Christ, so when we experience worry, it doesn't mean we're a horrible Christian. It means we fall on our knees before God, and we ask for help. We don't look to ourselves. Paul is offering assistance here from something that plagues us. And it's, he's not promoting a false gospel when he says, don't worry. He's saying, I want you to do something else. He's saying, in the midst of this thing called worry, I want to show you an unexpected remedy. I want to show you what to do in the midst of worry. What does a Christian do in the midst of worry? Look at the last part of verse 6. We'll read verse 6 again. It says, don't worry about anything, command, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. There's a remedy that increases our trust in God and decreases our worry, and that is called prayer. Now, the moment I said that, some of you went, yeah, 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 I've heard it all before. Pray, pray, pray. Pause that. Reject that. Tune in. Refresh what prayer is in your mind. Because I think it's different than what you're thinking if you say, yeah, yeah, yeah. When I say prayer, I'm not talking about reciting a bunch of words, especially a bunch of words with no meaning. What I'm talking about is communing with, knowing being with the God of the universe that created you and saved you and loves you. Being with the God of the universe who wrote in Zephaniah 3.17 that he loves you so much that all day long he sings songs about you. That's how much his heart is towards you. Go into his presence and be with him. That's prayer. That's not yeah, yeah, yeah. That's life-changing. That's life-altering. To be in the presence of God. When we commune with God in that way, worry and anxiety begin to die like a weed that has been sprayed with weed killer. They no longer entangle our walk with God. We're set free. Notice the strong contrast in this verse. Don't worry about anything, but... In everything, pray. Everything has the idea of everything, all things. Bring God into all things. In all things, no matter what you're going through in your life, run into the throne room of heaven with God and ask him for his help. Ask him for his assistance. Be in his presence. There's nowhere as a Christian you can go on this earth and not be able to call out and enter God's presence. Anything that threatens our peace, and our joy in God needs to be obliterated by us coming into the presence of our Heavenly Father. And Paul uses four words here to describe how we do that. 
Four words how we take a posture of prayer that counters the worry in our life. And the first word is this communion. Communing. Prayer as communing. It says, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer. First word. Communing. Like I said, it's a lingering in his presence. It's being with God. There's a wonderful story in the Old Testament I love where Moses, when he would, was leading the people of Israel, he would have to meet with God to get instructions, and he set up what was called the tent of meaning. It was a tent out in the wilderness, out in the desert. And so when he would enter the tent, they said you could see the presence of God fall on the tent. And Moses, it said, would commune with God there face to face like a person does with a friend. That's prayer. And then it says that he would leave the tent of meeting, but the presence would stay there. And he had an assistant named Joshua. And it said Joshua did not want to leave the tent. He wanted to stay in the tent. He wanted to linger in God's presence. He wanted to commune with God. Because he found that that was where he came to life. That is where he truly lived. And so with it is this idea that prayer is a location we go to. It's a place we run to versus this one-time speech that we say. Sometimes we don't talk when we pray. We are just with God. And you know what? I don't have to tell you this, but all sin and Satan war against us praying and getting to that place, don't they? I think the biggest strategy of Satan today is to get God's people so busy, so divided, so worked up, so running, that it's hard for us to sit in his presence. It's hard for us to run to that place of prayer. The second word is petition, or some translations have supplication. The root of this word means to lack, or to lack something, to be deprived of something. When we lack something in the natural, our natural reaction is to get anxious about it and get worried about it. Instead, we're supposed to enter into the presence of God, is what Paul is saying. Invite God into our lacking. Invite God into our deprivation. Invite God into our desperation. Invite God into the sense of not knowing how this is going to turn out or what's going to happen. When we say or sing that song, Lord, we need you, we are praying a petition. When Jesus was gathered with 72 people who were considered his disciples, and he gave this really radical teaching where he said, if you want to follow me, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And most people said, this is way too weird and crazy. And they turned around and they left. And the 12 were there. And Jesus said to Peter, what about you? Are you going to go join the rest of them. And Peter had the wisest words to say. He said, where else would we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. That's petition. That's saying, where else could we go? I need you. The prayer petition is saying, apart from you, God, we can do nothing. So one of the ways we counteract worry and anxiety is we get into God's presence, we commune with them, and we acknowledge, God, I can't do this. That's not a lack of faith. That's ultimate trust. God, I need you. I can't do this. Will you fill the gap? Will you meet me where I am lacking? Will you counter the biggest lie our culture says, and I'm getting to the point where I cringe every time I hear it, 
when someone says, I got this. You don't got this. You don't got this. God's got it. So we come into his presence and we say, I don't have this. Help me. That's petition. Every year at this time, we get a wonderful example of petition that goes across most of our TV screens. If you're like my family, at some point in the Christmas season, you watch It's a Wonderful Life. And George Bailey has a great petition prayer. He says this. He says, Dear Father in heaven, I'm not a praying man, but if you're up there and you can hear me, show me the way. I'm at the end of my rope. Show me the way, God. That's petition. That's I need you. What I'm facing is too big for me to handle. So that's how we're supposed to counter worry. Commune with God. Petition. Number three, thanksgiving. Don't worry about anything but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving. All true prayer, time spent with God, marks us with gratitude. Because when we come in our petition and we say, I can't do this, will you help me? Now all of a sudden we see we have a God who can help. We have a God who's all-powerful, who's ever-present, and there's this gratitude that comes into our hearts that fosters a peace. And even in our lacking, we see how good God is. That we have one who is so much stronger than anything or anything one we can appeal to on earth. We have one who's stronger, who can do something with the venting of our hearts. And though it's good and feels right to vent to a friend, when we vent to God, we're venting to one who is all-powerful, ever-present, all-knowing. And he welcomes us into his presence as the creator of the universe so that we can experience in that moment of stress, in the moment of anxiety, in the moment of worry, his love for us, his grace for us, his joy for us. God isn't turned off and put off when we run into his presence with the stresses and anxieties. Like a good father, he welcomes us in that place because he wants to help like a good father would. He never casts you away. And when we understand that, the overflowing response in our hearts is, thank you. His love for us could not increase any more than it already is. His overflowing grace could not flow any stronger. His lavishing mercy could not come upon our hearts any thicker. He loves us. And the final posture of prayer is requests. It says, don't worry about anything but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. This means to make known to God the specific things we're struggling with, the needs that we have. We should bring those before him, the things that we need, the things that are troubling us. We should be quick to run into the throne room of God and present to him the requests we have. What are the specific needs in your life right now? What is weighing you down? What is occupying your thoughts where you're staying up at night? When we are weighed down by these things, we create this garden in our hearts where anxiety and worry 
can grow and increase and take over if unchecked and unattended. However, that is also the same garden where trust and dependence on God can bring joy and peace. And these joy and peaceful actions and trustworthy expressions can bloom if we in desperation run to God in prayer. So what happens when we do that? What happens when, instead of worry, we run into God's presence in prayer? Paul says there's a wonderful promise that we get. Look at verse 7. When we do that, when we don't, when a concern light comes on in our hearts, and when instead of worry we run to prayer and communion and petition, thanksgiving and requests, this is what happens in verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. There's no shortcut for peace. It's marked through the pathway of prayer, through coming before God and communing with him, saying, I need you, laying out requests, giving thanksgiving. We experience peace when we become consistent and fervent in our prayers. When we become consistent and fervent in running into his presence, that's when we experience this peace. And no matter how your prayers are answered, you still get this peace because you experience it as you run to him fervently in prayer. To live a life worthy of the gospel means we're not tied down in letting our hearts be kicked around by the things of this world, but we have an anchor that we can run to in the midst of stress and sorrow and anxiety. And we can experience this peace of God as we pray fervently. And it's a peace that is abundant. That's supernatural. It says it surpasses all understanding, which means it's mind-blowing. We can't wrap our arms around it. We can't understand it. It's this mind-blowing peace. It surpasses all knowledge and circumstance and reason. I shouldn't have peace right now, but I do, because it's a gift from God. Peace here means an inner calm in your soul. I love what I'm going to share next. Do you know what this word peace means? It means to be tied together in wholeness. To be tied together in wholeness. Now get this. Remember what worry means? Worry means to be scattered and pulled apart. Peace means to be tied together in wholeness. You see, the wisdom of God through the apostle and the Holy Spirit here is that Worry and anxiety scatter us and pull us apart. The peace of God ties us together in wholeness with him. And to obtain this peace when we regularly commune with God and cast our cares upon him in prayer, there's no explanation for this other than he is good. And he provides it to us. Unnatural supernatural peace that floods our hearts and drowns out worry and anxiety because we're reminded about how great God is and we're reminded about who he is and that reminder guards us. It guards us. This peace acts as a guard, it says, to guard your hearts and minds. Paul, when he wrote this letter, was on house arrest 
He was in jail. He was preaching the gospel. The Roman Empire didn't like it, so they threw him in jail. And as he's writing this, I picture him looking at this guard, this big Roman sentry that's watching over him, and as he's writing this, he's saying, that's what peace does. It guards your heart. He probably looked at him and saw this guard watching over him and thought, God's peace is doing that to me right now. As I sit here in this jail cell, unsure if I'll be put to death tomorrow, God's amazing peace is guarding my heart, keeping me from utter despair. God was protecting his heart so fear and worry and anxiety wouldn't take root. So worry was not allowed to access the core of who he was because his heart was praying fervently. When we pray fervently, the peace of God stands like a sentry over our heart and our mind, blocking out things that will take over. All of us struggle with this. I'd like to offer another resource for you, a book called Winning the War on Worry by a pastor named Louis Giglio. It's a great book that can help in this if this is something you struggle with, especially. The follower of Jesus who prays fervently is guarded against the enemy of worry and anxiety and allowed to live a life worthy of the gospel. How about you? Are you sick of being kicked around by worry and anxiety? God this morning is saying to you, a crazy command. Don't worry, but in everything pray. I want to encourage you this week to do something. I want to encourage you this week to take at least 10 or 15 minutes every day, Monday through Friday, Thanksgiving included, 10 to 15 minutes. All of us can find 10 or 15 minutes. Take 10 or 15 minutes, and the first thing I want you to do is look at the Crossview Church Bible reading plan, see what the reading is for the day, and read it. Read the Bible reading plan from Crossview Church. Then I want you to practice these four postures of prayer. Come into God's presence and just say, God, I just want to be with you. I just want to be in your presence. And then tell God how much you need him. Petition. Speak of your desperation because we're all desperate and needy. And then Allow thanksgiving to flow your heart when you see who he is and how he receives you. And then take at least four things that are plaguing you in your life, that are holding you back. Or maybe you know a person that's struggling and you want to bring that as one of your four things. I don't care what you pick, but pick four things. And every day this week, enter into God's presence through his word. Enter into a posture of prayer with these four things. List it out and bring four requests to God and see what he does. See how this will help. And then I want to encourage you to pray a really, really bold prayer. To pray a prayer that is something that's impossible in your strength, but only possible in God's strength, and that's this. I want you to pray, God, create in me a heart that prays fervently. See, you can't in your own strength create this. This is something only God can do by his spirit. And so, so God, create in me a heart 
that prays fervently. Help me to have that. When I was a newer Christian, I really didn't know how to pray. And I remember going to a friend of mine saying, I really don't know how to pray, and I hear how people pray, and I hear how you pray, and I think, man, I can never pray like that. And he invited me to a prayer meeting. And he said, here's what I want you to do at the prayer meeting. I don't want you to say anything. I just want you to sit there and listen to people pray. Sit in God's presence and listen to your brothers and sisters pray. And that's how I learned how to pray. Tonight, we have a prayer meeting at 6 o'clock. A group of your brothers and sisters from Crossview Church are going to get together, and we're going to come into God's presence, and we're going to linger in his presence, and then we're going to share requests. We're going to have Thanksgiving. We're going to walk through these things. And maybe this whole idea is very foreign to you. I encourage you to come to the prayer meeting, and you don't have to say a word. You can just sit there and take this in. Be in God's presence. Linger in the tent. That's what he's calling us all to do, to be with him. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your timeless word that's so relevant in our day and age, and I thank you that you don't leave us in places of despair, but you meet us in those places. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that would have fervent prayer cultivated in our hearts by your Holy Spirit. I pray that we'd be people who commune with you. I pray that we'd be people who petition you and express how much we need you. I pray that we'd be people who are filled with gratitude when we understand who you are. And I pray that we'd be people who would be quick to run our requests to you. And I pray that we'd be people who would experience your peace guarding our heart and mind in a way that blows away all understanding that we have. God, let us experience this this week by your grace. Let this not just be theory, but let it become practice. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.